When God Calls, part 2, and the life of Jonah. We're going to be looking from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. So as we continue our series, Encounters with God, this morning we look at the second message on the life of Jonah. Remember that uh, in each of these series we look, we set it up in the first Sunday and then we look at their conclusion on the second Sunday, or the encounter with God. So last, uh, last week we saw how God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is today somewhere in northern Iraq. They were the enemies of Israel. They weren't very nice people. They were very violent. And God told them to go out and preach judgment that judgment was imminent because of their sins. Jonah didn't like the idea, so he made other plans and decided to go on a Mediterranean cruise instead. Mid-sea, some dramatic events unfolded for all on board, all because one passenger chose to run away from God's call. So this morning we will talk about his rescue, both physical and spiritual. His repentance and we will end up with his recall. The recall, you've heard, you might have heard that word before if you own a car or some kitchen appliances perhaps or maybe some food items. Companies at times issue a recall when there, are, there is something defective with a product that they have sold you. Similarly, at times God has had to do some recalling himself with his servants. And almost always it is the same part that needs fixing. Guess which part that is? The heart. By way of introduction, before we delve into our text, I want to touch on something. Uh, I would like to address something that often comes up in discussions with um, those who do not yet believe or unbelievers who just find the whole story of Jonah and and the the whale, uh, the big fish, so preposterous. Um, Because they just simply cannot understand miracles. They say that's... Miracles just don't happen. A narrow way to define miracles is that by their very nature, they are an act of God who, which defies, God intervenes and his act defies logical and reasonable explanation. A longer definition of a miracle is, is, is that it is an event that involves the direct and powerful action of God transcending the ordinary laws of nature and defying common expectations of behaviour. In the Bible, we often see God acting in his sovereign power however and whenever he chooses. At times, of course, 
People, unbelievers, try and dismiss miracles as simply too far-fetched, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for example. At other times, they simply dismiss it as a mere coincidence, like perhaps the miraculous catch when Jesus said, toss the net on the other side and bang, bingo. All the fish are caught. So let's move our focus beyond here, the best known miracle that we know here in this book, and expand upon it, the most obvious miracle. Because there's more than just one. Just in the first two chapters, there are more in the, in the in the the rest of the book, but just in the first two chapters there are already seven miracles. They happen so quickly that it is is so easy to to just miss them. Let, Let me name them for you. God caused a violent storm. Verse 4, chapter 1. Second, he had the lot. Remember when the sailors cast the lot? It fell on Jonah. Verse 7. He calmed the sea after Joan was thrown overboard. Verse 15. He commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. Verse 17. He had the fish protect and transport him safely. Chapter 2, verse 10. He had the fish throw Jonah up on dry land, not in the middle of the ocean somewhere, or in the bottom of the sea, chapter 2 verse 10. And perhaps the greatest miracle so far in the book was the turning of the prophet's heart. That is, I would say, that is the the greatest miracle of all. And and most of us here this morning, we could say amen to that, right? The fact that God reached into our heart and revealed his truth to us. But he still loves us, as undeserving as we might be. So let's get into our text. Down we go, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights. There is a subtle pattern in the first chapter which describes Jonah's downhill slide as he tries to run away, to escape from God. It says that he went down to Joppa, which is a port on, uh, in Israel or just on the edge of the Mediterranean. He went down to Joppa, And on the ship he went down below deck and he was thrown overboard down into the sea and he continued to sink and then he was swallowed by a large fish that took him down deep into the ocean to the roots of the mountains, as it tells us in verse 6. So if you were Jonah, you've been tossed overboard, 
you'd be pretty convinced that that was it. That's the end of it. He recounts in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, fading, God sent, at that moment, as he's sinking, God sent the big fish to rescue him. Now, he deserved to die because he was suffering the very direct consequences of his disobedience. But in God's mercy, he now finds himself in the belly of a great fish. Now, I know that there has been some historical episodes, and I go back to my first digression regarding miracles. Just a couple of years ago in South Africa, a diver was swimming, and suddenly this big, he found himself in the, in the belly, but not in the belly, in the mouth of a whale, you know, closed up on him, and then, but straight away the whale didn't like the taste of the, the diver and spat him out straight away. But Jonah finds himself in the belly of this great fish. We don't know what sort of fish it was because fish can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. However, it is most likely to have been a whale appointed by God to catch and swallow Jonah alive. It's a divine miracle that the right size fish appeared at just the right moment in just the right place with just the right appetite to swallow Jonah and not kill him or maim him but instead protect him in the process. Let me digress again a little here. Did you know that uh, if you take down a, a ping pong ball underwater, the most you, you'd be able to, a ping pong ball just uh, caves in on itself at the depth of 30 metres below water. Now I know there are some divers out there, some free divers that can go uh, a bit deeper than that. But a whale, a whale is capable of diving down two kilometres below the surface of the sea. And uh, I think they've measured a whale actually diving down to three kilometres below the sea. This gentle giant, with all its capabilities, became like this pressure chamber where God kept this man alive. The fish represents God's provision for his protection. God had no intention of killing Jonah. If he did, he would have sent a great white to do the job and just finish it off, right? He wasn't finished with Jonah yet and and he still however, had to deal with Jonah's disobedient will. So he places him in this uncomfortable place. 
Not in a hotel on top of a, a tower with, you know, a five star, all the trappings of life. But no, this is an uncomfortable place with no distractions, no luxuries, where he can get his undivided attention, the attention of this rebel prophet, and remind him once and for all who's boss. Recently we saw how Job suffered deeply, even though there was no obvious sin in his life. Yet over the years we have all witnessed believers paying the price for their obvious disobedience to God. You know what God wants from your life and yet you choose to go the other way. And that may be you right now. Let me say that however uncomfortable your current situation is, and and you probably are aware that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because you're breaking his laws, his standards, it's called sin. God, just by the mere fact that you might be here or you might be listening online, he is giving you an opportunity to repent and to come to him. The fact that you're alive, the fact that you're breathing, just the mere fact that you're still able to reasonably understand what the message is, God is speaking to you right now. And you need to be grateful because in his love God could very well be protecting you and your family and your loved ones from something much worse. If God had had enough of you, he would have sent a great white. So down we go. That's the first big heading. The second big heading is up we go. Chapter 2 verse 1. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This whole chapter, this whole chapter 2, is Jonah's prayer of confession and encounter with God in this most unlikely place. As he regained consciousness, he wasn't dead, he was very much alive. One can imagine the, the horror of his initial sensations as he wakes up, as he comes to, in this dark place. As he stuck out his hand, he could touch and feel the, all the gooey stuff, the, the stomach lining of the fish pressing all around him. The, perhaps the uncomfortable irritation of the acidic stomach juices of, of the fish as, he, as they begin to bleach his skin. the foul smell of the place, the passing through of the normal diet of the fish as all these, I don't know, sardines and other stuff are in there. Yes, yes, we know the end of the story. But let's not rush there. This is where he's at now. He didn't know he was, there was going to be another chapter 
to his life. He will have three days, and, and that's a long time to ponder and think about his own predicament. Now, one good thing about finding yourself in a desperate situation is that desperation has a tendency to turn the heart of the prodigal son back toward God. It is better to be in the fish and talking to God than on dry land and boasting about your big plans and your big future apart from God, isn't it? It is better to be in the pigsty and and miss home than in a mansion taking all the blessings for granted. The belly of a whale, the belly of a big fish or the pigsty might actually be God's provision for you to wake up. Similar to Elijah in the desert, another character that we looked at, Jonah was in for some intensive correctional training, some, let's call it some after-school detention before the principal. All you school teachers know what that's about. Like we said, he wasn't expelled because God, God wasn't finished with him yet. But God provided a way for Jonah to do some long, hard, serious, undisturbed thinking with the decoration of some seaweed wrapped around his head. And he comes to the conclusion that God's way is not so bad after all. And this unlikely place becomes his sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? A sanctuary is a place where you encounter God. Remember our series, the title is Encounter with God. And you can know that you have encountered God when he has your undivided attention. There are no distractions. In that moment, everything else is a distraction, whether it's anger, pride, resentment, injustice, excuses. They're all gone. They're all stripped away. Everything except God diminishes in your sight. And when you enter, when you truly enter his presence, you will not leave the same way. So firstly, Jonah cries out for help. He says in verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, From deep in the realm of the dead I call for help, and you listen to my cry. He describes it as the situation as the realm of the dead. What he means is, I was as good as dead. And what do they say? They say that when you hit rock bottom... Um, look up. And sometimes that's what it takes for a person to humbly look up, to, to finally look up and humbly ask for help. And while offering this prayer, Jonah often quoted the Psalms. Uh, and 
what he is actually doing by quoting the psalm is that he is allowing the word of God to permeate his thoughts. And this is, I think, a very good reminder of the value of keeping God's word in our hearts. Access that we have, smartphones, when it's all many case. So now that you start remembering, committing this stuff to memory so that when you are find yourself in a dark place like Jonah, you can recall some of those wonderful verses that have meant so much to you so that God can speak to you. And we note at least seven references, seven references to the Psalms. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Your billows swept over me. That's from Psalm 42, verse 7. He says, I have been banished. In chapter 2, verse 4, that's Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 31, verse 22. He says, Engulf me up to my neck. The waters come up to my neck. And chapter 2, verse 5 is similar to Psalm 69, verse 1. He says, my life was fading away in chapter 2, verse 7. That's Psalm 147, verse 3. He says, to your holy temple in verse 7. That's Psalm 18, verse 6. To worthless idols in verse 8. That's Psalm 31, verse 6. Salvation is from the Lord, verse 9. That's Psalm 3, 8. And other parts of the scripture. Can you see what he's doing? Why was the word of God so important for his spiritual recovery? Because before you go and see a counsellor, before you go and talk to your pastor, before you talk to whoever it is, before you even you know, express your thoughts on social media, the Bible is the most accessible spiritual surgery you can have. It's God's provision. It, it, the Bible is the most accessible surgeon you will have. Where do I get that from? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now do you know why we resist opening the Bible? Because many times it hurts. It's a bit like going to the dentist. Who enjoys going to the dentist? Not me. That's what the Bible does. And that's, I think, why a lot of the times our Bibles are sitting on the shelves and unopened. We have to let it speak. We have to let the surgeon do his work. And many times there is no anaesthetic. I'm sorry. It's just going to hurt. 
it's going to hit us where it hurts. You see, what happens is that disobedience, like Jonah's disobedience, is our way of saying to God, I want to do my own thing because I don't agree with your standard. I've heard it, I, I, I know, I know the verses, please just, I don't want to hear it. And, and there are Christians who know that their lives are out of step with God's will for them and they're still determined not, not, they're not going to change. I'm going to do what I want. Oh yes, but let them get desperate enough. I'll put them in an impossible situation. And then they may decide to reconsider that God's way is best. This act of reconsidering, of turning, it's called repentance. It rarely occurs without some type of crisis shaking our complacency. Just a week ago, as a denomination... A third of delegates basically said, in these modern times in which we live, we think God's standard with regards to marriage is way too narrow and strict. We need to reconsider a way forward. Let's talk about it more. Thankfully, two-thirds of them disagreed. The question for all of us is, are we still convinced that God's way is best? Secondly, and this is a quicker point, secondly, Jonah accepts God's discipline. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. The important point here is that Jonah recognised that it wasn't the sailors that hurled him into the sea. It was the sailors because he said, what do we do? He said, just chuck me over and they did. But Jonah recognises that it was God who hurled him into the sea. He wasn't playing the victim here. Oh, those awful guys. They just threw me overboard. No, he's, playing, he's not playing the He recognised that God was disciplining him and he deserved it. Let's be clear on this point that how we respond to discipline determines how much benefit we're going to receive from it. Parents, you remember disciplining your kids? Yeah, I know. Those days when we used to have discipline, I know. And sometimes your kids will respond to this, I hate you. Well, we missed that lesson, didn't we? Because it's out of discipline that parents discipline their kids. It's out of love, deep love. By accepting God's discipline, it is saying, I'm willing to follow God's will instead of my own. And this is what Jonah does. 
And thirdly, Jonah submits to God's will. He says in verse 9, with a, with, with a song of thanksgiving, he's starting to sing now, I will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed, I will make good. I will follow through on what I said I will do. You might have seen that the movie is one of my uh, favourite shows uh, is Air Crash Investigations. I know, I'm a sick man. Because <laughs> I like flying on planes and just watching them crash, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. Anyway, um, they sometimes show the picture of all the panic and everything as, as the, the, this emergency comes around, right? And, and, and you can only imagine being there in that situation, placing yourself there, and, and as you watch out the window, there's this engine on fire, and you watch out the other one, the other engine is on fire, and, and you probably see all these people, you know, praying to their gods, making all these promises, even if they are perhaps even Christians, and say, oh Lord, please, if I get through this, making all these vows and promises, just one more time, Lord, I know I'm going to follow through. And then the plane lands and they survive somehow, miraculously. How many of those do you think follow through on their vows? Not Jonah. He was determined to make good on his vows and his promises to God. Folks, don't muck around with God. Please take your vows Seriously. Because it's before God that you're doing it. And our our next point is, out we go, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Uh, We can look at this subheading in two ways. Out he goes when he is vomited out of the belly of the fish. And out he must go from his own people, get rid of his own pride and prejudice as he was recalled to go out and preach to the people of Nineveh. Go out. In chapter 1, remember how the pagans were crying out to their own gods when fearful for their own lives. And Jonah in verse 8 describes them as those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. And and ironically, the sailors were the very people that were trying to save Jonah, that were trying to protect him. They were trying as hard as they could, but they couldn't. But now, these are the people that Jonah has to go and preach to. These are the type of people. A declaration which is central not only in this book but the whole of scripture is this. In the whole of the Bible, this is very central. What is the Bible about? You can tell them salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Chapter 2 verse 9. That is what scripture is all about because God alone is author. He's the one that enacts and he's the one that executes our Salvation. 
you might recall that in the movies, when there is some catastrophe or impending doom, there's always some character who shouts from the rooftops and says, Save yourselves! Well, Jonah couldn't save himself. The sailors couldn't save him. It was God alone who could save him. But he was saved for a purpose, to take the message of salvation to a people who could not save themselves. Who didn't know the left hand from the right. And when we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, there's a whole message there. Uh, A second time. It's an affirmation that our God is the God of second chances. God doesn't have to. He is under no obligation to us. But in his grace, he brings us to a place where repentance and obedience is not optional. Yes, yes, Jonah will go and preach to Nineveh and they get the chance to hear it for the first time and they will repent wholeheartedly. It's a miracle of miracles. But it is unfortunate that even though Jonah does obey and does go, he is not actually happy about the end result. If me as a preacher goes out there and revival breaks out anywhere, I'd be kind of hurt. He's like, oh my Lord, this is your work. This is amazing. I'll be on cloud nine for years to come. Nothing will beat this. But Jonah, he was cranky. He actually prefers that God cancels them completely. Our main headings this morning are down, up, out, and it is sad that the book of Jonah ends with in. God gives him a shade to protect him from the scorching sun and then he sends a worm to destroy the tree quickly and he is exposed to the climate change again. And... uh, he ends up cranky again. Why are you upset? Because I'm, I'm upset. I'm angry. Why? I'm angry not to die. I just want to die. Okay? Leave me alone. This is the Lord that rescued him. Did all those things, kept him alive. And he's still upset. What is wrong with you? I know, we have no, no one like this here. We're all beautiful, nice people. 
We're never cranky or upset. We're beautiful inside and out. Every day. Always praising the Lord, whatever comes. Our pride and prejudice all to one side because we love everybody. God is good. Well, if you're that, you're not Jonah. And I'm, if we're honest enough, I think we have a lot more Jonas in us than and the others. Don't turn inwardly when God calls you to. You know, don't play the victim. Don't, you know, let your praises rise. Let out, let it go out to you because of his goodness to us all the time. The good thing is that if you're still here, let, you know, We are broken vessels, guys. Broken, leaky vessels. And if God can use broken vessels like Jonah, I'm sure he can use, still use you and me. May God find in us willing servants rather than recalcitrant recalcitrant ones, you know. And lastly, our last point. The story of Jonah has many lessons for us, but it points to the bigger story, the story of Jesus, his love and his justice. Just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a giant fish, Jesus was crucified and placed in the grave only to be resurrected on the third day. This is the miracle to beat all miracles that God's gracious love is displayed by sending his son to die in our place, to die a death he did not deserve, so that heaven could be opened for us through the cross, that we might be delivered from our sins unto salvation that truly belongs to God. But folks, remember Jonah's warning to Nineveh was repent or perish. That was a simple message. Repent or perish. They repented and lived. In the same way, Jesus, yes, very loving, all loving, gracious Lord, he left us these sobering words in Matthew twelve thirty-nine to 41. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now something greater than Jonah is here. Isn't that the Lord's message to this generation? What a wonderful Lord we have. Wonderful God. 
Let's continue to praise the one who calls us to himself and his mercy and grace. Amen.